Welcome back to Backward Point Podcast. My name is Nazar Sayed, and with me, as always, is my co-host, producer of this podcast, Bashar. And my brother. I keep forgetting that. People get upset. I'm your brother first. Don't forget that ever. Yeah, yeah. I apologize. My brother Simba. first. You know, Never that's what, forget. That's what capitalism will do. It, it will change relationships for you. But yes, we do have uh, Bashar Sayed with us. And today is our first World Cup review of a match. Uh, today was Pakistan versus Netherlands. It was the second game, not the opener. And we will be diving deep into the match analysis, how scared we were in the middle of the game, how Pakistan sort of turned it over, uh, you know, key points, Saud Shaqeel, uh, NRR, net run rate, uh, lots more to come, deep dives into that. And before Just that, general World Cup talk as well. Yeah, I mean, the opener, we'll, we'll discuss the opener as well because people want to know our thoughts on that. Uh, the magnificent uh, opening ceremony. Wait, wait, sorry. Never happened. Wait, no opening ceremony, right? No opening ceremony. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I'm tripping. Feels like uh, I'm in some sort of dream that's been violently shaken by uh, Jay Shah. You and the ICC both. <laughs> we both are in some weird <laughs> trance mode right now. Um, yeah, so that's going to be uh, on the agenda today. But, you know, first and foremost, got to thank our Patreon subscribers. They are the ones who keep the light on in this building, in this room, on this podcast. And uh, another surprise for them and our fans People have been wanting us to do this for a very long time. The Backward Point Discord server, Bashar, is now live. Let's go. Hashtag BP. Hashtag BP. It was, it's been live for about five, and six, five or six hours. And there's already about 150 people in there. And it's lively. And people are talking and arguing and being respectful. Positive. Constructive. People literally went on and said, hey, I just want to join this community so I can have a non-toxic place to talk to Pakistan cricket fans or just cricket fans in general about cricket. And that's the space that we've sort of curated. That's the space that we want to continue. Um, our Patreon subscribers have a specific channel, specific room on that server. It's just them and us and they can talk about whatever they want, whenever they want. And, you know, you and I have been on in and out of that uh, server throughout the day. And it's been a lot of fun. There's actually my favorite part of that server is the memes channel that we have. People just posting the funniest memes. And it's absolutely hilarious. You know what we'll do? This is a channel. This is a video that I wanted to do for a very long time. Meme review. Mm-hmm. Cricket meme review. Maybe we'll do it once a week. Maybe we'll do it once every couple of weeks. As soon as the memes start getting, you know, there's more in there. We'll even ask people that are subscribing to pitch their favorite memes so we can review them. I know Tanmay Bhatt does this. People really like it. And that's something we could do as well. Absolutely. I think uh, one more thing I love about the Discord is we have a lounge called PCT Therapy. Yes. If needed, hopefully we don't need it. But if needed, in this World Cup, we can jump on that um, vocal lounge. We almost needed it. Almost, almost needed it I was it almost on there. I was already like, uh, you know, uh, asking our editor to be like, hey, can you work out the PCT therapy uh, voice channel? Because I think it's about to get down tonight. But uh, thank God we didn't need it. And uh, just again, thanks to everybody who's subscribed. Thanks to everybody who signed up to this uh, Patreon servers and the Discord servers. It's it's amazing that we've grown this community so much that people actually want to be active. It's all because of you guys. Thanks a ton. Thanks a bunch. We're just two brothers trying to make this thing happen and, and people come in and actually pitch in. So we, we appreciate that a lot. Um, moving over to the agenda, Bashar, what you want to start with? There's, there's so much. I think before we dissect the nitty gritty of the Pakistan and Netherlands games, I think we should briefly touch on the England versus New Zealand game, the opening ceremony. How you felt, you saw the first game, you saw the second game, lots of feelings going in and out. Floor is yours. Yeah, I think it's very important to talk about that first match, um, the non-existent ceremony, opening ceremony, um, and just how mismanaged this whole World Cup is. And the reason why I say mismanaged is because me and you were lucky enough to be at the last ODI World Cup that happened in the UK. And I remember vividly, we bought our tickets 13 months in advance. The, the tournament started in June of 2019, and we bought our tickets in May of 2018. Yeah, we didn't know where we were going to stay. We didn't know what flight we are going to take. We didn't know what cities. Well, I mean, I guess we knew what cities we were going to be, but we don't know how we were going to travel. But we knew one thing, which is that we had tickets 13 months before the first game. The, time, the first game was going to be played. Because, I mean, people, the World Cup is a global event. People want to travel to the World Cup, um, and we had the same plans. And, you know, living in the, in the Western world, you need to plan your life accordingly, your vacations accordingly, your visas accordingly. Um, and so to understand from, from what I heard is that the tickets are still being released for the World Cup as the matches go on. And some of them were released 
a few days ago, a few weeks ago. Um, and just seeing the empty stands um, for the opener opening match, I do understand it's it was it happened at, at the biggest capacity stadium of cricket in the world. At the same time, why did you have the opener of England and New Zealand and not the home team? And why did you have it on a weekday in a stadium that even though it was filled with around 30,000 people, it still looked empty? So I got some stats for you because I was listening to Buttafast who has, who have Essen um, Nakvi, who is a very prominent Pakistani. Ahmer Nakvi. My bad. Ahmer Nakvi. I love this podcast, by the way. You, you could never tell. Ahmer <laughs> um, Nakvi is one of the, one of the uh, hosts and Usman Samyudi is the second host. Ahmer, very prominent Pakistani journalist, Karachi, I like deep, deep influenced into his roots and his bones. And Usman Nakvi, Usman Samyuddin, also a Karachi guy, but lives in, in Britain. And they were talking about how there is always an ICC committee that it is governing the preparations of a World Cup. So when it was in England and, and Australia, that committee was sort of making sure that things were in place and whatnot. And I mean, this is what Osman was saying, and I kind of believe Osman because Osman is like a deep ESPN Cricket Info guy. He was saying like either this committee did not exist this time or even if it did exist on paper, it had no authority. So there were no checks and balances on how many tickets were being sold, when they were announced. There were days were being rescheduled like literally weeks ago. You know, Pakistan's game was moved a couple of times, yeah. at least a few times. Security concerns. Pakistan's first uh, opener was played under no local fan, like no behind no, closed doors. Behind closed doors, under weird security circumstances. Um, the Pakistan team got their visa so late. I mean, they had a whole. Uh, team bonding thing scheduled in Dubai, which had they had to cancel. Which we sort of got in a bit of flack of because we we recognized that and we actually talked about it in one of our reels that obviously kind of blew up. And people were just like, um, you guys submitted the team so late. You guys announced the team three days before. Um, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh announced their teams a day after we did. They were there. Like, this is just complete utter nonsense. And then Pakistani fans don't have their visas, so they can't travel. So, again, another beautiful example of that anecdotally, Atif Nawaz, part of the Change of Pace group, uh, he's a commentator, he works for the BBC. I believe he has a British passport. I may be wrong on this, but he's traveled enough that he has enough of a travel history to know that if he got an Indian visa, he wouldn't, like, slip or stay there or whatever. God rejected his visa. That's crazy. And he was going there for work through the BBC. Like if the BBC can't get into India, then nobody can. They, yeah. they got into India way before anybody else did. And they stayed for a couple of hundred years. So like that's just the state of affairs when it comes to um, accessibility for this World Cup, right? You don't have international fans coming in. In the England-New Zealand game, there was these five New Zealand fans that were, <laughs> the cameraman just couldn't find anybody else. So he kept going to them. Do you remember this? Like every time there was like, you know, uh, Ravi Chandra. Ravi Chasri? No, no, who was the, uh, the guy who scored the century? Ravi Chandra... Rachin. Rachin? Yeah. Rachin Ravindra. Yeah, Rachin Ravindra. Ravi Chandra, I said, I don't know why. Rachin Ravindra, he... Uh, every time he would score a boundary, they would show the same four people on, on the screen. And at the end, literally, because those four people came down and, and Ravi actually took pictures with them and was like, hey, thanks for coming from New Zealand or Auckland or whatever they came from. That's the sort of affairs that it is. And like, that, that's like for New Zealand. There's going to be nobody for Pakistan, locally at least, that I know of. Now, I do know that there is a big fan following for the Pakistan team. There always is. Same thing with India. Like, if India ever toured Pakistan, like, there would be a bunch of people showing up in blue jerseys, supporting Kohli, supporting uh, Rohit Sharma. They're just fans around the world. There are people who are separated by boundaries, but are united by the love of this game. Um, and they're just, it's sad because people have means who want to go and sort of explore the Indian culture. You have to realize this is a third or fourth generation after the partition. Like we technically, our family moved from India to East Pakistan to Karachi. We've never been either to East Pakistan slash Bangladesh ever. And we've never been to India ever. And now with Canadian Indian relations, that's not going to happen either. But this would have been such a good opportunity for people like us to like go back home, see our roots, see our whatever, and just enjoy good cricket. But no, mismanagement to the max. I think, you know, if the World Cup was better organized, I think I can speak for myself, but I would have at least given it a shot to try to go to India for one of the games, maybe the final, maybe the Pakistan-India match. Uh, but just not even having that option to explore was a bit sad. 
um, just because of how great of an experience we had at the last ODI World Cup. So yeah, definitely one of the worst um, managed tournaments. I don't know who to blame. Is this the, the ICC? Is this the ICC mixed with the BCCI? Can we bring in Jay Shah again? No, it's not I even... I love the Jay Shah hate. <laughs> the Jay Shah hate is, is in, inexplicable right now. But it's not just the mismanagement in terms of tickets and just, you know, technical supply demand levels. I'm just talking about aesthetics. Did you see the promo of the, where they had the captains doing the weird uh, pointy thing into the sky? Cringe. The photo shoot was at Ahmedabad uh, at the Narendra Modi Stadium. Cringe. You compare that photo shoot to the photo shoot from 2019 where there was an aesthetic, there was a rustic feel. They had like all the 10 captains sort of, you know, uh, posed correctly. There was lighting. All the captain shots were so well. Well, like right now we got player shots on a white background. And they were like, I think the idea was like, here, take these weird poses from your star players and turn them into memes. I think if that was the, the idea, that didn't happen. And it's just been like, it's, it's crazy. Like the way that it's been monitored, it's, it makes me... Sad because we were at a trajectory point where it was actually going towards, I'm not going to say FIFA levels, but at least professional levels where it was fun to like engage. Right now, I'm just like, I just want to be far away from this promo as much as possible. Yeah, because it's, it's also important to realize that when the Cricket World Cup comes around, uh, people who don't watch cricket necessarily all year long tune in to watch the World Cup, even if you're not a cricket fan. Even if you just hear about the game of cricket, you tune in to watch the World Cup. Um, I know people that I, I work out with at the gym, they're not cricket freaks, but they do have an understanding that the World Cup is happening. They tune into Willow here and there and they watch a few games. Yeah. Um, so when they're tuning in to watch empty stands and the World Cup opener of the defending, you know, the, the last World Cup finalist, um, it doesn't give a give off a good impression, especially in a country like India, where cricket is the biggest sport there. Um, you couldn't fill a stadium with the amount of youth you have, college students, university students school students in the biggest in the worst in the most populated country in the world with the biggest sport being cricket you couldn't fill a stadium with literally england and new zealand being the finalists one of the things other things that i learned is usually world cup openers start with the home country right the three world cups that were in england in the first three times all started with england first uh pakistan started the first world cup in 90 in 87 the only time that the world cup started with not home countries was and this is ironic, 1996, England versus New Zealand in Ahmedabad, and it was sold out. Wow. So something's got to give. Like something happened here where it's weird that people didn't show up or if they did. Like the biggest miscalculation, like you said before, is the fact that they held this opener at Narendra Modi Stadium that has 120,000 people banked. If that India is not playing, 120,000 people are not showing up. So you should have either moved it to a smaller stadium that has a 30, 35,000 capacity because the numbers state that 35,000 people showed up by the end of the night. Well, okay, 35,000 in a stadium of 120 is just a quarter filled. So yes, it's going to look empty. So you, if you had that same 35,000 at like Mumbai, Wankhede, I think it's Mumbai, right? Yeah. You would have had it in Wankhede, you could have had it in Bengaluru, anywhere else where the stadium was small, uh, capacity was big, metro, big metropolitan cities. You would have had those seats filled. And the image that you've exported into the world, which is that cricket is the fastest growing sport, cricket is the big, second biggest sport in the world, is that, hey, people actually give a shit. You know, it didn't help that the opener also was a dead rubber, shitty game. Did not help at all. But the fact that people were still, there was no butts in the seats looks bad. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point you made. Uh, I think the next thing we should probably talk about quickly, very quickly, is how New Zealand thrashed England. Yeah. Uh, like I said, dead rubber game. And this is a New Zealand side that was without a Kane Williamson, without a Tim Southey, without an Isodi. So I'm just thinking of what New Zealand's full strength team might look in the next coming weeks when they do get fully fit. Um, it'll be a huge selection issue for New Zealand to pick and to, to decide who sits out, who comes in. Um, but yeah, just a, an incredible match uh, that we saw uh, Rachin Ravindra on debut, on World Cup debut. Um, just smashing it all over. And then coming into today's game, so tricky, our man, on World Cup debut, um, just, just smashing it all over. Just seeing that fearless intent from these players is very heartening for me. Um, and if we get more deep into today's, today's match, Pakistan bats first, Netherlands wins the toss, and they feel first. They put in Pakistan to bat first. 
Fakhar Zaman. I feel like we've been talking about Fakhar Zaman for the past one and a half month, ever since the Afghanistan series. And we're like, is Fakhar Zaman out of form? Is he going to come back in form? I feel like at this point, I'm like Donkey in that Shrek movie where I'm like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And the question is, like, is Fakhar Zaman out of form? Is he going to come back in form? Should we give ABD a chance again? Why did we bring Fakhar Zaman back if he was never in form? Um, and a lot of people are out there talking about how Fakhar Zaman's technique is bad, um, how he's never really fully on the ball, how he has a high backswing. To them, I would say Fakhar never really had a good technique. He always performed and scored runs despite having a poor technique. Um, and Fakhar was always sort of a batsman that took on the bowlers. He counterattacked and he dominated. And I just don't see that same intent um, on, in this Fakhar Zaman. I don't know if it's a mental blockage. We do have a psychiatrist with the team. So I'm hoping that he's having many long sessions with Fakhar Zaman. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with him. I believe his highest score the last 15 innings is around 33, 34. And those were not even his best 33 runs. Like, there's been no convincing uh, shots from him. Uh, he looks like he's in a shell. Um, and this is not the Fakhar Zaman that we have come to know over the past few years. Um, he is our match winner. Uh, it's a double-edged sword, playing him or not playing him. If he plays and doesn't perform uh, and gets out early, Babar Azam is in earlier than he's uh, typically used to. And Babar's under pressure. And if Babar gets out like he did today, then the Pakistan team is under pressure. If Fakhar doesn't play, if Abdullah plays, uh, Abdullah, Imam, and Babar are the same sort of anchor players. Um, and Pakistan will see themselves being 10 overs, 35, 40 runs, maybe one wicket down. Um, in an era where we talk about playing modern day cricket, scoring 350, 320. And I don't know how you do that with having that sort of a start. I'm kind of sick of the whole fucker banter, especially coming from the opposite side of this table. <laughs> I'm being honest, like this is just too much. You're talking about players who play modern cricket. Neat. Tell me one person in the top five who is playing modern cricket. In Pakistan team? Yeah. I would say today, Sochakil. Apart from him, he's an anomaly for today. Let's put him on the pause right okay. now. Let's replace him with Salman Ali Aga. From the top six, who's playing modern day cricket? Nobody. Except for Fakhar Zaman. He was the first player to score 200 runs for Pakistan. He almost scored it twice, if you remember correctly. He scored 190 odd against South Africa. Yeah, and you know, that stupid Quentin de Kock out. It still pisses the shit out of me, but we won't go there. That's a whole other podcast. But... You know, he's the one who sort of introduced this attacking form of cricket. Because if you remember, if I take, if you give, if I give you a quick history lesson, the opener that he replaced was Ahmed Shazad. Okay. And the person who was opening with Ahmed Shazad was Azhar Ali. Okay. This is 2017. He brings in the 2015 England mindset, that shift that they had after that World Cup, where they're like, we cannot be that team anymore that is, you know, filled with um, Trescothics and uh, Andrew Strauss's who are just eating up boundaries here he, ending up balls here we need someone who needs to switch everything up ben stokes was the one who took the, the charge uh Owen morgan was the one who took the charge joss butler was there and they completely changed it but that was a shift a in, the, in the team's mindset true true, true. we only have one player we have yes, nobody in the we backup. have somebody from that ilk who is sort of branching out and trying to play their national game and for the most up until 2022 actually 2021 t20 right that was about two years ago he was proven everybody wrong he scored a 50 off 35 balls in the semifinal against Australia and he smacked Stark for three sixes. Am I misremembering this? This is exactly That's what correct. happened, right? Yes. So up until two years ago or up until 18 months ago, there was no problem. So Fakhar Zaman was your guy. He wasn't even opening because, you know, the Riz, Barber, the Riz Bar love affair was so strong that they weren't even letting anybody come close to the one and two mark. He was coming on number three, one down. Everything was fine. He's going through one of the worst patches that I've ever seen a player go through. Now, there are questions on his technique. There are questions on who he is as a player. There are questions on, was he ever even that good? I'll give you a stat. Pakistan has only scored, I, I think, around about 28 to 30 times. I'm, I'm going to completely like overstate and generalize this. I read it off passing. But only 28 to 30 times they've ever scored more than 330 runs. And 12 of those times, Fakhar Zaman has either scored a 50 or a century in those games with a strike rate of over 115, 120. I'm not denying those stats, but what I am saying is that he's currently out of form 
and the timing of him being out of form is a very critical time in Pakistan's cricket history. I'm going to put history in that no, word. No, I, I will totally agree with you. I will totally retweet that. But the fact that his his remarkability is questioned time and time again, like I understand that he's not performing. I understand that this person may have a mental blockage, but this whole line of questioning that goes at Fakhar Zaman, where people are just like, man, he's done, kick him out, put, bring in ABD. Bro, ABD has played seven ODIs and he's gotten out golden ball duck twice. Am I wrong? Or maybe it was three times. It was some ridiculous figure. It was him and Sky who were like battling out on who can go out duck the quickest or the most times. It was crazy. So I, I love ABD. ABD is the future of box on cricket, at least in ODIs and, and test matches for sure. But you need to back your players like Fakhar Zaman right now. But the, if, if that back comes... to today's innings, yeah, I just, sure. just want to give... I know I'm cutting you off, but that's my job. <laughs> I'm just... Today's innings look promising as the past few have. He was he had a quick quick start. One of the one of the fours that he hit was on an edge, but apart from that, he looked good. He was you know his bat was coming through well, and he looked like if he had stayed maybe three or four more overs, maybe he could have gotten a quicker start. He was off of twelve runs off like nine balls, three three really good boundaries. I I thought that this today was the that Bobber that fucker would break his curse of the past fifteen ODIs. Didn't happen. Got one random ball that kind of stuck deep into the pitch and the whole timing went out and he just gave a catch right back to the bowler. Happens. What I took away from today's game, at least with Fakhar, the, the 12 or 13 balls that I saw of his, I thought he looked intentful. I thought he had a mindset that was like, I know I've been in a bad patch, but I'm here to prove myself. And I think that if that mindset continues, and the best part about that, actually, actually this whole scenario, is that Pakistan won today. We'll get into that, but I just want to say like... That, it just relieves a lot of pressure to Fakhar Zaman who hasn't been performing and a lot of losses have come quote-unquote at the back of his performances. So today, even though he wasn't really... He didn't really show up as much as he wanted to, that performance, that win, will definitely have his confidence against Sri Lanka. Uh, I think, you know, it is a good thing we won and we'll talk about how Pakistan's middle order stepped up, but we need to talk about the domino effect it has on Fakhar Zaman getting out early. Because Fahar gets out early, Babar comes in earlier than he wants to, and even today, Babar's innings was an innings very unlike Babar Azam. He scored five off eighteen balls. Um, looked like he never really got going. Didn't really find his rhythm. Typically, he does take a few balls to get his innings started, um, and then he's looking for that one odd boundary where he can just dominate the ballers and get on top of them. Um, but today, I think uh, Babar was under pressure, which put Imam under pressure. Which resulted in Bobber hitting a very like it's a short ball. Bobber, I would say eight out of ten times would hit that for a boundary, maybe for a six even sometimes. Um, but he hit that straight to the fielder. I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know if it was because of the amount of pressure that is on Bobber Azam these days. The media pressure, the captaincy pressure, uh, the pressure to score monumental runs for Pakistan. Um, and then that because Bobber then got out. Imam's under pressure, and then Imam got off for a short ball, which he looked yeah, in absolutely no. He, he looked in no position to play that shot. And historically, I think statistically, you will see Imam's weakness against the short ball. I remember the game we watched uh, at the World Cup against New Zealand. Lockie Ferguson bounced him out, so he does have a a, um, a weakness against quick short deliveries. I think that one just kind of <sighs> hurried on to him. I wasn't. I don't think he was expecting that to come as quickly as it did. I think he wanted to nudge it and it just came so quickly that he just swatted it for nothing shot. Nothing was happening with that ball that was never going to cross the boundary. Um, he just kind of threw his wicket away. So those back-to-back-to-back wickets definitely piled up. Um, Pakistan was 38 for three and nine. The Baba wicket overs. is weird as well. He has a knack for throwing his wickets to the spinners. It, and that same position, by the way, that's, that's the position that he's done it many times where he's... Oh, that's an innuendo. That's a position he's done it many times. He, he does... He doesn't sort of, his arms don't flow as well as they should early on in his innings. That's sort of like nerves, sort of like the eyes setting with the ball that happens. That ball that he got out on also like, I feel like people do a lot of, um, give him a lot of, you know, excuses. Oh, he just got a ripper from Pandya, so he got bold. Uh, you know, a couple, I said that. <laughs> yeah, you said that. And then and you got a lot of flack for that. But I genuinely think like, same thing with, Fucker, the ball just stuck on the pitch a little bit and he couldn't time it. And I feel like it was the same with Baba, where it just turned a little bit, gripped a little bit more. 
Man, you're you such a big Bobber stan that you can't say that Bobber made a mistake. Come he on, man. He made a mistake. 100% relax, made a mistake. Relax. 100%. This is the third time in the last four innings against Netherlands where Bobber is out against a spinner. Um, so I, there is something going on. Um, I do hope that Bobber comes back hard in the next match. And I'm low-key, low-key, I'm very happy Bobber didn't score runs today because if he had scored runs, it would have been like, oh, look at Bobber scoring runs against Minos. Um, so again, it's a very double-edged sword every time he scores against a lower-ranked team or Buzz Bobber, all those tags are coming out again. Um, so I think, you know, law of averages, Bobber Azam is saving his best knock against Sri Lanka, against India, century loading. Yeah, I think law of averages does state that <coughs> I'm glad he didn't waste his big runs opportunity today, but I would have liked to have seen him get on the board. For 40, 45, 50, that's something that I expect from Bobber. I want him, I want him to be the highest run scorer of this tournament. And the five-run start doesn't really help. I think getting into the positives that we saw, despite Pakistan being 38 for three, is Pakistan's middle order stepping up and stepping up in a way that us Pakistanis are not really used to. Uh, seeing Mohammad Rizwan and Saud Shakil having that partnership, showing intent, improvising, playing proper cricketing shots, um, and taking the attack back onto the Dutch bowlers. Uh, they had a partnership of 120 runs off 114 balls. And the most impressive part for me in this whole partnership was so Shakil. One more thing I wanted to add is uh, in the preview podcast, we talked about our playing 11. And I'm very, I'm so happy that I'm at that point in life where I can just know what Bob Razum is going to do next because we predicted the playing 11 exactly how it was announced. Uh, we, we mentioned that we wanted to see so Shakil in the middle order uh, instead of Salman Aliaga because of um, the innings he played against New Zealand in the warm-up match. Uh, I always had some reservations against So Chikil, if I'm being very honest with you. Um, just because he's a small guy, he doesn't look like he has a man. A, you're you 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 just totally disregarded So because he's short. No, it's because he doesn't look like he has power hitting abilities. And if I go to his list A stats, uh, he averages 45, very healthy average, but his strike rate was 84. So I just don't think he has that six hitting ability. And because he bats at number five, and that is again that's due to the fact that Bob Razum, the number one batsman in the world, world's according to the rankings, uh, bats at number three, Rizwan wow. bats at number four. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I was the just... slander. You know, Bobber was exceptional as a captain today. Wait, no, no. I, I, okay, wait, we'll talk no, no, about I'm jumping that. the gun, but how dare you, sir? I how was just you? giving my source. It's not trust me, bro. It's, no, like, but it's, it's the, the ICC rankings. It's the way you said it. It's not what you said. It's, it's the way you said it. It's the way you said it, bro. I, I heard that venom. Okay. Shrimp, judd, under disguise. <laughs> You know, people say that. <laughs> don't don't come here from your fake accounts, bro. Come from your real accounts. So, uh, so Chicken Banning at number five was always um, a question mark for me. Uh, my ideal number five would have been Haris Suhail, but this guy either disappears, gets scared, scared by ghosts in hotels. <laughs> what? Or he gets injured before a World Cup. Um, so, so Chicken at number five. I've been talking about for the last six months that Pakistan needs a left-handed batsman in their middle order. Uh, just because in the middle overs, a lot of teams have left arm spinners. They have leg spinners. Um, and the ball turning in is always easier to play versus the ball turning away. And we saw how Saud Shakil dominated against Vandermerver. Um, one thing or one moment in the match, which was incredible for me to see, was the moment where he was actually batting and umpiring. Yes. He caught that there were, not four, there were not five fielders inside the circle. So just for people who don't know, uh, the rule from ICC is that in the middle overs, there has to be five fielders inside the circle at all times. Um, and so Shaquille, in the corner of his eye, noticed that there were only four fielders. So if that ever happens, that is an automatic no ball. The umpires missed it. The third umpire missed it. But so Shaquille was there, showed immense game awareness, uh, being in the moment, watching the field, and knowing that even though he, if he's going to attack on this ball, there's no chance of him being out. He hits that ball for a boundary. He talks to the umpire. The umpire gives it a no ball. He gets a free hit and he hits a six off that free hit and just showing complete dominance, game awareness. Um, and I think that's, that comes from him, A, being from Karachi. You know, there it is. Karachi agenda. Is, Karachi is bad, agenda guys. at its peak. We've always heard uh, people, players from Karachi like Javed Mina, like Safraz, are very street smart. They always know what's going on. They're sort of one step ahead of the game. 
And secondly, he has a wealth of domestic experience. He's one of your top domestic players for the past four to five years, come straight through the under-16, under-19 circuit from the Pakistan PCB player pathway. So we're seeing if you respect your domestic performers, they will perform for you on the biggest stage. And Solchakil today on World Cup ODI debut played the most impactful innings for Pakistan. Solchakil was full on in Gali cricket mode. This guy had his blinders on. He knew exactly where the fielders were. He was like, yo, like he, he thought he was playing Gulistan and Johor right now. Like I kid you not, the way that he was checking the fielders out and he, he didn't tell the umpire before the game, before the ball was bowled. This is the best part that I love about this whole situation. He tells the umpire after he hits a four and then he's like, yo, there, there's, five, there's five people out and the umpire checks. Yep. Gets a free hit, hits a six. That was sort of the turning point of the game. The momentum sort of shifts back to Pakistan because Pakistan gets about 14, 50 runs off that over and then just start dominating after that. It was just one step after the other, but it starts from this moment and you have to give credit to Saud. You have to give credit to the circumstances he's been grown up in and the crickets that he's played in domestic. You know, Karachi's, like we've said before many times, they're very different conditions. They're slow tracks. You'll see a bowler bowling 30, 40, 50 overs in, in multi-day cricket. That is the, the, those that are just spinners, finger spinners, wrist spinners. They're just continuously bowling day after day. And that's why you'll see so many Karachi players being so well-equipped with, with spin. Javed Miyadad, Sarfraz Ahmad, Fawad Alam, and now So Chakil. Another notch in Karachi's belt of just producing players that are spin-dominant. And you need somebody like that in the middle order who can rotate the strike, you can get, get the odd boundary, especially if there's a collapse in the top like there was today. You need someone to consolidate. Rizwan was a great pairing for Saul because Rizwan plays similar but different attacking cricket from the other side. So it was never like the runs were stopping. If they were not getting boundaries, they were getting singles. There was never a moment where there was a bunch of dots played straight up and the run rate was like dropping and you wanted to consolidate, hit a rash shot. That never happened. So I was really, I wasn't surprised, but I was really happy that So was able to show those numbers. Uh, he had the second fastest 50 in ODI World Cup history for a Pakistani batsman. 32 he, balls. 32 balls. He was almost about to cross in Zamamulak's record there, but he wasn't able to do that. That's fine. There'll be more opportunities in the future. I was kind of shocked that he got to the milestone so quickly because it almost looked like he was playing risk-free cricket. Uh, I heard in his press conference that he mentioned that he was given the responsibility of being the number five batsman for Pakistan. So for the past few months, he's been working on these lap shots, these reverse sweeps, just ways he can um, dominate the ballers in the middle overs because there's always five fielders inside. So you always have one boundary option. And if you, if you aren't able to manipulate the field, uh, you'll be bogged down. And like you mentioned, him and Rizwan just taking singles and doubles. That's one thing I feel like was missing in the Asia Cup. Pakistan played so many dot balls. Um, they weren't even, even getting boundaries. So the pressure kept mounting and mounting. And when you go for that release slog shot, the chances are when you're under pressure, not set, it'll go in the air and you'll throw your wicket away. Another blessing in disguise was that because Saud was playing, Salman wasn't playing. And because Salman wasn't playing, when it came both time to fielding, Babur didn't really have an opportunity to try Salman out. He went straight for Ifti, who took him, who gave him a first ball wicket. People are not realizing the impact of that one shift of getting Saud in. It basically, as a captain, you know, the paradox of choice, we've talked about this many times. Economists talk about it all the time. When you have Shadab, Nawaz, Ifti, and Salman Aliaga, that's four, sorry. Counting was horrible. If people are watching this on YouTube, they're like, backward point cannot count. Four options of part-time spinners, because I'm going to count Shadab as a part-time at this point. Even Bobby didn't give him full 10 overs. He was like breaking it apart, mixing it apart. So when you have that opportunity, you sort of give... Salman a couple of overs and then you give Ifti a couple of overs and then you, you mix it up. When you just take if, uh, Salman out, you have to go with Ifti because Ifti, Nawaz and Shadab are going to complete your overs. And that sort of zeroes in gives a bit more of a responsibility to your spinners who then can go out and produce results like Ifti did on his first ball. Granted, it wasn't a special delivery. It was just a mistake from the batsman. But Ifti has been known to do that time and time again as opposed to Salman. So that was another... Thing that I, I realized that with South coming in, it sort of provided the gravity that Pakistan team was lacking for the past few matches. And I love this combination. I'm so glad we predicted it because that was the no-brainer move from, from us. 
from from the Pakistan management, and I'm glad they listened. We also talked about Pakistan not announcing their eleven night before and missed I, opportunity. In my opinion, <laughs> no, I think it was good, man. Just uh, announce it in the dressing room, right? Tell the players the night before, uh, but only announce the team at the toss. They don't get too headed themselves. Um, Why do you think they stopped doing that? You know, I think it's because of the backlash they got. I'm not saying that Babur is hearing this podcast, but Babur, if you are, bro, thank you. You know, um, I just think Babur thought this team was a lot better than it actually was. I think uh, if Babur thought he was, Babur thought the Pakistan cricket team had become the 2003 Australian team for a moment. I think Babur believed his own hype, and that's why he was so more confident in the Asia Cup, announcing his team prematurely, not making enough changes. And I don't think he saw the Nasim Shah injury coming as well. He thought. He would have his strike ballers. His 11 was set. I'm going to announce the, the, the teams with a, with a couple of changes here and there when needed. But he basically has done that. Like, if the fact that you and I from Canada can predict this 11, don't you think the other teams could do that as well? Just the fact that he's not announcing it, I feel like this one sort of went not the way that he wanted to. If Pakistan had won the Asia Cup, like completely dominated, won it, brought it home, you would have seen that, um, that tradition continue. I just think with not announcing the 11, you need to also, you know, respect the conditions. Like, what if you announce the team a, a day before and it, it rains overnight, there's overcast conditions, and you've announced a team that has two spinners and you need to, at the last minute, add a seamer instead of a spinner. So what do you do then? That's sort of going against what you said. Um, and we saw that backfire against the game against Sri Lanka. That's what you I announced think happened. You announced 111 and then there were injuries overnight. Uh, before the toss, and then you had to change the eleven again twice. Twice, two people came in, two people went. Yeah, so that that just doesn't look good. Talk about because this team, if anything, is built on chemistry and morale, and that kind of shakes it up, doesn't it? Like, yeah, Ab- ABD is like Fakhar is like, I'm not gonna play tomorrow's game, and then tomorrow Harris morning, is going to sleep thinking he's gonna open the match. Yeah, right and now he's in the middle. Like that doesn't really look good on your players. So I think this was a this was a better call. Coming back to the match, Pakistan then lost a couple of back-to-back uh, wickets. I, even though I thought, you know, um, Saud got a bit unlucky. He should have scored a, a big hundred uh, because he got out in a very crucial stage of the match where he could have just upped the ante. He was set. Um, same thing with Rizwan. Um, I just think he went playing across to a ball. He should have probably played straight. Uh, he hit a couple of really good straight drive boundaries. Uh, but then Iftihar came in. Iftihar got a very soft dismissal, uh, edge to the keeper. Um, and Pakistan found themselves being 188 for six. Um, and again, another positive for Pakistan is that our all-rounders actually chipped in. Shadab and Nawaz had a great partnership. They both uh, sort of made sure Pakistan gets to a respectable total. I think on any other day, any other Pakistan team, 188 for six, they were probably bowled out for under 200. That's true. But we have now sort of come to the moment that I, that I, <laughs> that I actually shared in our Instagram account, Backward Point Pod, that... We, every World Cup, every series, every cricket season, there is a Pakistan cricket heritage moment that just goes down in the annals of time as that moment. 92, I remember Jairi Mehta jumping like a monkey, uh, Dinesh Mongia. Uh, the 96 World Cup, I remember Amir Sohail being super overconfident uh, and then just getting bowled out the next ball. Every moment there is one. 2000, uh, the, the 99 World Cup. With the uh, Vasim Akram and Inzam Hulak being bored at the same end, and uh, the very famous line where uh, <laughs> Inzi says to Vasim, he's like, after he gets hit a Yorker, he falls over, right? And Vasim runs, and like they're both standing on the same end, and Inzi doesn't even get up. He's like looking at Vasim by, and he's like, Vasim by up, yeah? It's like, you know, that sort of thing. And we have now added another notch, another chapter, another story to that moment with the. With the Mahwan Nawaz run out. Can you explain to me what that was? Because I was baffled at what was going on. Bro, that literally happens in gully cricket. Where, oh, it's an overthrow. Let's run. Oh, there's an overthrow on the overthrow. Oh, I've already ran. How about you run? And then we meet in the middle. And then there's a direct throw. Just village. It does not get more village than that run out. Um, and it, it's funny to think this is happening in a World Cup match where Pakistan is in a delicate position, the game could go anywhere from that point. And Mohammed Nawaz, who's set on 39, um, trying to make use of the last few overs for Pakistan and get them to as close to 300 as possible or beyond. Um, and on that stage, you make this silly move by... <sighs> nothing you, run. you didn't need that. You didn't need that. It was a nothing run. And you didn't play the last six balls of your innings, which affected the run rate. 
And as the game progressed, I was like, oh my God, this run, run out and these last six balls, I feel like are going to come back and bite us. Because that's exactly what happened with Afghanistan, with Sri Lanka in that Asia Cup. And I didn't want to have, I didn't want that to happen again. Uh, thank God I didn't pull up. But again, man, what a moment. Like this is the first game of the World Cup and we've already gotten moments like this. I wonder what we have in store for the next eight games. Yeah, also with that, uh, that drop catch of... Um, oh, what a sitter drop. I was actually, I was up in my room working and I heard you because you were watching the game downstairs and you were like, oh, it was, I, and I was like, what the hell happened? Because I was on a lag stream and then I saw the drop catch and I was like, come on, Ifti. Ifti's better than this. Ifti actually caught a blinder in the Pakistan India game, if you remember. The Rohit Sharma catch. Bro, what a catch. Like, that's the type of catch that I expect from Ifti. But... I don't know what happened. It does not get as more straightforward. Like you and I could have caught that. And it was going so fast. All you got to do was put your hands out at the right time and would have stuck. I can cast that. I don't know about you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would have caught it and not broken my pinky. How about that? Butterfingers. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Pakistan's bowling because uh, 286. No, before I mentioned Pakistan's bowling, my friend, my brother in, in Islam and in reality, we have to talk about Pakistan's captaincy on the field. Well, that's part of the bowling. No, 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 no. We that's have to talk about it first. Okay. We have to talk about it first because there is so much slander on the internet. And this is the beef I have with the internet, which I will never win. I understand that the internet is a billion against one in this certain regard. But people are so quick to come out and just totally bash Babar and his captains. He's slow. He's, he's not aggressive. He's defensive. He's, he's uh, immature. He has no game awareness. Look at Dhoni. Look at Kohli. Look at Tandulkar. Nobody said that. But, you know, people are like comparing him to freaking A.B. De Villiers and, and the Don Bradman and like Viv Richards. And I'm like, okay, fair, fair. I'm hearing it. I see the glaring mistakes. Today, this man makes the right changes. He brings in the fast bowlers when you need to. He brings in the spinners right at the right, uh, right time. He changes the spinners right at the right time. He brings in Shadab and actually uses Shadab in a way that it doesn't really... Shadab doesn't go for runs, even though in the first few overs he was bowling horrendously. But all he needed was to get his mojo back. And the last three or four overs that Shadab bowled were beauty. Beauty overs. You were seeing, seeing a lot less uh, mistakes, a lot less half trackers, a lot less full tosses near the third or fourth overs that he were bowling. And that, you got to give that props to Babar for giving him the confidence to keep bowling. Keep making the right changes, having him accompanied with either Harish Rauf, Hassan Ali, Shaheen Afridi. If not them, then he was accompanied with Ifti Jachu, who was you know, breaking the ball, taking the wickets on one end. So Shadab never felt the heat as he would have if this was any other captain. And, or even if this was Babar from six months ago. So you have to give him props where, where a captain has developed himself. He's gotten mature. He's learning on the job. It's been three years, but he's come at a point and he's peaking. If this continues, he's peaking right at the perfect moment because if this awareness, mental awareness keeps on going, he's going to win matches. Yeah, I think your praise should be louder than your criticism. And there's been a lot of people on the internet criticizing Barber's captaincy throughout the Asia Cup, uh, throughout the past series that he's not, you know, like you mentioned, attacking enough, not aggressive enough. But this today... Is, this is your chance to make the praise louder than your criticism. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Floor is yours. Barber's captaincy today was, I would say, oh, flawless. You know, he had the slip in. He was, he had the right bowling changes, like you mentioned, attacking field. Um, and I love the combination of having a fast bowler on one end accompanied with a spinner, a Nawaz, uh, a Shadab, even though Shadab didn't look the best in the first few overs. Uh, and I don't know how we're expecting Shadab Khan to magically come back into form if he's just bowling so bad. So I think there may be a point in the tournament where we have a discussion about when do we bring in Osama Mir ahead of uh, Shadab Khan when we do get into true spin wickets. Uh, Nawaz did look better today. The the one wicket he got was um, was a, a Jaffa, I, I would say. Um, but I think one point that I wanted to mention of Pakistan's bowling is when you think of Pakistan, you think of fast bowling, and you think of aggression, you think of pace, you think of um, just just fear, right? Hassan Ali today, his average pace was just over 130. Shaheen Afri's average pace was just over 137. Harris Rove was the quickest of the lot, and we saw what difference that extra 10Ks makes. So I don't know if Hassan Ali, if he was bowling slower because he could improve his accuracy. Uh, at times, when you don't have uh, full rhythm, you do cut the pace down to increase the accuracy. So I don't know if that was probably one of the reasons why his pace was around 131, 132 kilometers an hour. 
the Hassanani that I know balls around about 140, 135 at least. Um, so I don't know if he's just not in rhythm or if he was just uh, balling slowly uh, on purpose. But he did get us the uh, breakthrough up front, which was much needed because uh, Vikram Jeet on the other end was was smashing Shaheen all over the place. I thought he was Chris Gale for a moment, though. He was hitting no foot movement at all, but the arms were going everywhere and he was getting those couple boundaries and over. And it, it looked, it got really annoying. As a Pakistan cricket fan, I'm going to be honest. I was like, bro, this guy is like, he has no technique. He has like, but he's smashing our bowlers and he's finding the gaps and he got a really solid 50. Like you got to hand it to Vikram Jeet. He was out there to prove something. He got a good 50. But then again, the inexperienced sides, they do this. They don't capitalize. They don't mount pressure on the opposition with making these big runs. He threw his wicket away as soon as he got a 50. Um, but I just want to mention something real quick. You talked about um, accuracy over pace, right? Um, I think both Hassan and Shaheen were a little bit undercooked today just because they didn't have an seam and they couldn't go full throttle. In order to be aggressive in cricket, you have to be vulnerable, correct? Bro, how long are we going to have the discussion of not having an seam shot? No, because you have hold to... Hold on, hold on, wait. Okay. The Indian team was without a Bumrah for eight to 10 months. He was out with a back injury. And I, yeah, and they didn't, I didn't hear anybody talking about, oh, they we didn't make Bura, it to the playoffs. Bro, they made the semis of the last T20 World Cup, right? They uh, performed well in the last few series despite not having a Bumrah. They played the World Test Championship final without a Bumrah. So how is it that one baller goes away and you're suddenly panicking right, left, center? Okay, I'll, I'll explain it. I know Nassim Chai is a great bowler. He's irreplaceable. Uh, but I think we need to have uh, uh, backup bowlers in place to me- come in to, in the place of Nasim Shah. And one of the criticisms I do have for Babar Azam is I love how he made a solid playing 11 like we were talking about before the Asia Cup. That Pakistan looking like a settled team. We named the playing 11 and this is the same 11 that played against Nepal and India. But where Babar sort of made a big mistake is he didn't never prepare to bench. Uh, as a captain, your job is not to just have a good playing 11. It's to have a good 15-man squad, a good 20-man squad that you can fall back on once injuries do happen. So I feel like it was just a lack of planning for Bob Razum. Maybe he didn't calculate that there might be injuries that may occur. And that's kind of dumb because with fast bowlers, injuries are part and partial of the game. Yeah, I, in defense, because I have to present a defense for the situation, I want to ask you this one question in, in the defense of all of this. Is Hassan Ali your backup to Nassim Shah? He's the best available option, but he's not... Is a, he a direct backup? Nobody can backup Nassim Shah. Yes. Right? So he's not even the backup to Nassim Shah. He's the backup to the backup to the backup of Nassim Shah. So the backup would have been Hassan or Hassanullah. He's not even that, their backup. He, the backup to them would have been Wasim Jr. or Dhani. He's not even their backup. He's like... The third pick amongst all of these people, if you bottle them in rounds. So what he wants to do right now is not be a bombastic Vakar Yunus. He's not that right now. He just wants to be there and contribute positively. If him going at 145 clicks means that he misses his length, he doesn't take wickets, and he gets hit for 80 runs and six overs, I don't want that. Let me tell you something. Uh, he might get away with balling that pace against Netherlands, maybe even Sri Lanka. But when you get to Ahmedabad against Shubman Gill, against Rohit Sharma, you cannot keep balling at a length and expect to keep one dot balls. What these great players do is they shuffle around, they come down the track, they make sure they mess up your length and they will counter-attack you. So that's just what I'm fearful going forward. I hope Hassan does get back, uh, gets into better rhythm and increases his pace. Uh, because I do want to see him backballing 135 kilometers and up. I'm just going to run through some figures right now. Uh, we had Shaheen Afidi at an economy of 5.28, 7 over 37 for 1, which I think is decent. Um, Hassan Ali, a 7 over 33, 2 wickets. He actually looked a lot better than you're giving him credit for. That's why I'm, I'm taken aback a little bit. He also bowled a maiden in there. He was really, uh, he had a really big part in making sure the runs dried up in the middle so you have to give him props there Haris Ruh was the best at the trot he should have had four in my opinion um, nine, nine overs 43 and uh, he took three wickets there uh, at an economy of 4.7 if the comes in just bowls the three overs 
takes 16 runs, uh, gives 16 runs and takes that one very crucial wicket, uh, first ball wicket. Rifty's turning into Shaheen kind of a little bit. Mohamed Nawaz comes in 7 overs 31 for 1 and uh, economy of 4.4 and Shady comes in 8 overs 45 for 1 economy of 5.6. Now the important thing here to note is that Nawaz and Shadab have the same number of dot balls. You see that on Crick Info. We have the same thing pulled up. 23 dot balls from, for the both of them. Now, the, the place that where I'm still a little bit uh, concerned about Shady is that he got hit for two sixes and a four, right? And both of those sixes were not, oh, the batsman overcame the spin or he overcame Shadab as a bowler. Those were just half-trotters. You and I, if Shadab balls that to you and I, we are dispatching it over. Bro, the, even over the, the wicket he got, it was a short ball. It was actually the, a mistake of the bats, but not, not, no credits to Shadab Khan. A little bit of credit, Shadab Khan. I'm a leg spinner. I'll, get, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Firstly, it was, a, it was a googly. Secondly, it was quicker. His googlies are usually a bit slower. This, this was his regular pace googly at like 89, 90 kilometers. You know, 99. He dashed them in at 99. That, like that, that uh, kid said. 99 kilometer googly that sort of climbed up on him. In your defense, like whatever you're saying is right. That should have gone for six. But it didn't because it was so quick. You have to give him the credit for trying, trying something out of the box. It didn't land where he wanted to, I'm pretty sure, but it gave him the same result. Netherlands at one point was 120 for two, 123 overs. And I, I genuinely was scared that this might I was terrified. An upset. I was terrified. I was like, how do I... I was gonna, if Netherlands had beat Pakistan today, this channel would have been deleted. I was like, <laughs> I cannot do this anymore. I cannot come up here... And like, I'm so glad that we weren't, quote unquote, as big as we were, as we wanted to be back in 2022 when Pakistan lost from Zimbabwe. I would have been broken, like on camera. And the fact that we got there today, it was terrifying. I was sweating, man. I was like, are we going to lose from Netherlands today? But I think, you know, credits to the ballers and Bob Rosen that when they got that first wicket, Bobber got that sniff. He brought in Hardest Rove. Hardest Rove with his pace, you know, pace is pace. There's no replacement for that. Uh, Pakistan not only won, but they won by a big margin. And we're talking about the margins in the last uh, match against New Zealand and in England, uh, how they won against such with a, such a huge margin, but so many overs to spare with nine wickets in hand. And that's because net run rate, I really feel like will play a huge part later on in this tournament when, when teams do tie off with having six wins each. Net run rate will, uh, the team who has a better net run rate will go through to the semis. And Pakistan, I think, really had that in mind towards the end. Right now, as we speak, Pakistan's net run rate is plus 1.62, which is just behind New Zealand. So I think if they keep capitalizing on this net run rate, um, they should be able to get uh, you know five more wins in the next eight matches uh, and go through four semis. Yeah, I agree. I was just checking the net run rate and it looks healthy. It looks good. Um, they just got to head down. You know, our boy Irfan Dunedo says this has very popular saying in Urdu which is which is like just keep your head down and make sure you're doing the hard work and you you will automatically rise the rankings. Quick question on Irfan Junaid. Do you have a scenes sticker on your laptop? People yeah. see that on the camera. Totally. What is your affiliation with Irfan Junaid? Uh, one of my really good friends, uh, one of the people that really uh, pushed us in this podcast, at least personally me, to keep doing it because we were a little bit heartbroken a little bit on the end. My own personal account, my poetry writing account, um, which is M. Narasayad, if you guys want to follow that, go ahead. It's been dormant for a while just because of life, but I'm going to go back onto it very soon. And that whole thing was led with Irfan. And I'm, you know, probably part of the scenes crew. So, yeah, I rep, rep him whenever I can. Um, scenes crew, team scenes. But he says, he says the whole Sarni Chikamopar thing, which is, like I said, uh, you just got to work hard, keep your head down, and things will, good things will come. And I think Pakistan have gone on a really good start. Uh, I have a question for you about the first game. Would you have been... Because I'm happy that the way Pakistan won. I like that there were hiccups. I like that there was friction. I would have been upset if Pakistan had scored 350 and gotten them out at 180. That's not the win that I want for Pakistan as an opener. Opener in the World Cup. Um, I need Pakistan to sort of struggle their way to the top. Because Pakistan is the type of team that will be overconfident. Asia Cup is a beautiful example of them sort of overplaying their hand and not really judging the situation as it should have been judged. So are you on the same boat as me or would you have liked a thrashing and just overconfidence galore and take this to the Sri Lanka game and then the India game? Everything happens for a reason. God's plan, as Drake says, 
Toronto Mads represent. Um, <laughs> Pakistan scoring the amount of runs they did today, despite the top three flopping, I think is a huge positive. So imagine this same Pakistan team with an informed Fakhar, with an Imam who's in the runs, with the Babar who's dominating, and in the bowling when you have a Shaheen who's back into full rhythm, and a Shadab who's bowling the ball in the right areas. As the tournament progresses, if those things keep happening, this will be a Pakistan tournament, Pakistan team, which will be named as one of the favorites of the tournament. Um, and, and the Pakistan team is such that they like to peak at the right time in tournaments. And we see them become dangerous when they do that. Um, and, you know, despite however Pakistan performed in the Asia Cup in bilateral series um, against B team, C team, whatever you want to call it, whatever the critics say, but Pakistan in ICC tournaments is a different beast. And I don't think any team will ever take them lightly. And I saw a lot of comments today saying that Pakistan um, adds such a different flavor to the ICC tournaments. Um, they are one of the most entertaining teams to watch, even if you're not a Pakistani fan. Um, just because you don't know when they'll do what, there is that unpredictability tab tag attached to them. Like today, they almost lost then they almost won. They lost again. Just a roller coaster of emotions. Somebody put a really funny meme on the Discord where it was just like a line that was going like this, like up and down, up and down, like a roller coaster. And it was just like Pakistan emotions during Pakistan during the game or whatever. And it was like they were gonna win, they were gonna lose, they were gonna win, they were gonna lose. It really is like that. And I I like that aspect of the Pakistan cricket team. I don't want them to be favorites. I want them to be underdogs throughout the whole World Cup. Even winning the World Cup, they'll still be underdogs. That's what they kind of were in '92. That's what they kind of were in 2009 as well. I need them to be that because that's when they are the best. Whenever we've been super confident, whenever we've literally had the best team, we've choked and I don't want that. I want them to steadily get better and peak at the right time. That's exactly what happened in 92 as well. I hate being that guy. That's like, oh, you know, in 92, Amir and Imad weren't in the team either. So we're going like, to, not. no, I'm not that guy. But there is a sort of story, a lore, a... um context to Pakistan cricket that actually is seeped within this so you know onwards and upwards from here I do have an interesting proposition for you uh to present and then we'll end it on this because I feel like this is a really nice cliffhanger Pakistan's next game is against Sri Lanka let's say in a perfect world Pakistan win that game Pakistan will be two W's when they go in to the India game next week India's first game is against who? Australia Australia tough tough bat match and then their next game is against Afghanistan, who is also a formidable side. Let's just put a scenario to our fans, to yourself as well. I want to see what you have to say about this. Pakistan go to the India game 2W, and India go to the Pakistan game 1W or maybe 2Ls, right? 1L or 2L, both situations are worse than what Pakistan might find themselves in. Who's the, who has the upper hand in that game, India-Pakistan game? Ooh. Tough, tough. Because like you said, uh, you forgot to mention this one part, which I wanted to talk about real quick. England is virtually out of this tournament. We talked about this yesterday, but just because of how bad the run rate is, they'll need to win huge margins. Seven out of their eight games. The, the next seven out of their eight games to comfortably qualify. Because even if they win the next six out of eight games, they'll need to win those six games by huge margins to qualify. Because so, their net run rate is currently negative 2.142. Similar situation that Pakistan was in in 2019. The West Indies game they lost, they got thrashed, um, and they weren't able to qualify after because of net run rate. So every single game matters. I think we'll get to the India-Pakistan match when it comes closer to the date. But that's something to think about. It is, it is. And I think on that note, we should probably sign off this podcast. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant way to end it because, you know, you leave you leave the people wanting more. Um Thank you guys for tuning in today. Again, if you guys you want to join our uh, Discord server, you can do that. It's free to join in. But as obvious, uh, our Patreon members have perks. Um, they have their own server. We're all, literally, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. And it's, it's a fun place to be, at least for this World Cup for sure. And then we'll want to grow it out after the World Cup as well. Um, we just recently released our live stream from our 2021 Pakistan vs. India game, the 152 for 0 game. Uh, we streamed that entire game and we released it on our Patreon account only for our Patreon subscribers. Um, we, it was on a different channel. We unlisted it from there. So it's only, only for, for those guys. And um, if you want to check out that link, even if you want to check it out again, I know it's been a while, 
Um, and we have that timestamp for the main moments, you know, the wickets, the fours, the sixes, the fifties and all that. Check it out. It's on Patreon, you know, sign up right now. You'll have access to that, the show notes, the Patreon servers, so much more is on that access. BTS videos, the shirt behind Bashar broke it down. There's going to be a studio tour coming in soon in the next couple of weeks, live zoom video calls. That's, you know, people that really enjoy that. That's going to be happening. So much more, man. We have so much lined up. Very excited about this community we've developed. Very excited about the fans that tune in every single day. And uh, they are the bread and butter of this podcast, Bashar. Sign off. Say your piece. Pakistan is 1-9 in this World Cup. Six more to go. And we're making it through the semis. Pakistan's in the bath from my side. <laughs> finish, finish it off the best way you want. The boys have bagged in 40 grand USD. Oh, yeah. Because they grand. won the match. So, yeah, on that note, uh, patreon.com slash backward point podcast. Um, if you want to guys get in touch with us, uh, the, the good ways to follow us are instagram.com slash backward point pod, Twitter, we're active on all the socials there. Um, but just on the note of Pakistan winning today and being 1 0 um, and grabbing their first win, hopefully, of the next um, you know, five or six more wins to go uh, for them to qualify for semis. This is Bashar signing off. Have a great night and a great weekend ahead. Cheers.